Well, folks, I pray that you all enjoyed your weekend. This week, as well as the next one, I am once again working with my client out here near Carlsbad, New Mexico. I've engaged with a couple of different team leaders so far, but the best part of this past week was last Tuesday and Wednesday. That was when I got to facilitate some training in a classroom environment over in Midland, Texas. I love classroom training because that's where the attendees are able to provide their undivided attention. It's much different than the field work, let me tell you. When I'm out in the field with these small teams, they're obviously occupied with their assigned tasks and keeping themselves safe while doing them. Sure, there are some opportunities for me to provide some on-the-spot coaching with regards to leadership, safety, and human performance, but it is much better in a classroom environment. It felt really good to do that once again. In fact, I have another one of those style events coming up this next weekend out here in Carlsbad. Outside of that one event, though, the remainder of my time during this engagement will be field work. It'll be getting really exciting once we kick off the new year, though, as those engagements will be classroom facilitation for the most part. That's right in my wheelhouse, so to speak. Oh, speaking of the new year, season four of the Liberty Leadership and Lies podcast kicks off on the 8th of January. The final episode for season three will be released on December 18th. I'll be taking a couple of weeks off from producing new episodes for the Christmas and New Year's holidays. I would encourage the audience to go back and revisit some of the greatest hits. Episodes 32 and 62, going all the way back to seasons one and two, are some of the top performers of the show. Of course, that was back before I started on Rumble and YouTube. You will have to use Spotify, Apple, or any other audio podcast platform to search for and listen to those episodes. Or go back and listen to the or watch the top episode of this year, episode 125. Also, speaking of YouTube, it looks like they are doing some crazy stuff with my podcast there during this past couple of weeks. You know, I periodically check the analytics of each of my episodes on that platform, and it seems like the last episode has some significant shenanigans going on. The total view count goes up one day, and the next day is down. In fact, the view count has been dragged to zero on a couple of occasions. Very, very strange. Not unexpected, though. That platform is definitely not a believer in free speech, and that's for sure. If you would do me a favor, though, just to mess with them over at ScrewTube, go to the channel and give each episode a thumbs up, or you can even comment on it. Once you do that, send me an email telling me that you accomplished it. The comment on the episode can be as simple as hello or whatever you want to do. You know, Rumble doesn't seem to have any problems, of course, because they like free speech over there. And speaking of TikTok, the view count there is still outrageous. Anyway, that's just one small way to uh, poke the screw tube overlords and mess with their algorithm. For now, though, let's get on with this week's show. Welcome to a show where we will discuss how the citizens of this republic must continuously fight to maintain our liberty. And those fights are increasingly against our own government. Some of the episodes on Liberty will shine a light on exactly how all levels of government are seeking to erode our constitutionally protected rights. We will also discuss the leadership needed to restore our constitutional republic, as well as providing examples of good and bad people in leadership positions in all facets of our society. Additionally, 
We will discuss the lies the people in positions of power and influence spread every day so they can maintain those same positions. I'm your host, Larry Lindman, retired U.S. Navy veteran, small business owner, and candidate for the Tennessee House of Representatives. And this is the Liberty Leadership and Lies podcast. Again, welcome to this week's show and thank you for joining me, folks. Up for discussion this week is the terrible state of leadership of the armed forces of the United States, both the civilian and military leadership. I titled this week's show, Leadership, Building a Military for Betrayal. Now, many of you may think that this is just hyperbole, but bear with me as I try to explain why I believe this is the case. First, we must go back to the scamdemic as a starting point for this. Well, truthfully, we must go back even further than that. In fact, it's necessary to go all the way back to the Clinton administration and its anthrax vaccination immunization program, or AVIP. I remember those days, my friends. You know, I entered the Navy in 1987 and had the pleasure of having Ronald Reagan as my first commander in chief. And since I retired 30 years after that, in July of 2017, I had the pleasure of having Donald Trump as my final commander in chief while on active duty. A couple of great bookend commanders in chief, don't you think? Well, moving on, though, I recognize that there are many people who I mostly consider to be the sheep of our society. They are always bleeding trust the science as it relates to vaccinations, which just means trusting the science that only the government and its boot-licking media allies approve of. These same sheep will state, just look at all the other vaccinations military personnel get. Now, there are a couple of ways to counter that argument. The first being the types of vaccinations and the difference between those and this new crop of mRNA vaccinations that forced the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to change the actual definition of a vaccine. But I will only focus on a different counter to their blind allegiance to trust the science. Imagine yourself as a young 17 or 18-year-old person that just reported to boot camp. doesn't matter which service either. You have just had your civilian clothing taken from you and locked away. Your head has been shaved. Well, for the men anyways, which is what I know. Because at the time I enlisted, Navy Basic Training Center Grace Lakes, where I attended, was all male in one of three basic training sites in the United States Navy. A decade later, 1997, the two other boot camps, Recruit Training Centers in San Diego, California, and Orlando, Florida, which was the mixed gender boot camp, they were closed under the Base Realignment and Closure Program, or BRAC. Back to those first few days, though, really the entire eight weeks. Every recruit had been repeatedly yelled at or barked orders at continuously for the initial two or three days and for every waking moment, and there were very few sleeping moments. That is because we, the recruits, entered into a whole new world where people are shouting all sorts of orders at you and you have been marched around to many different locations. And that's only a small part of what is called the sailorization process. At least that's what it was called when I was still on active duty. They may have changed the name by now. I'm not kept up with that aspect of the Navy. But sailorization is really just re-socialization a process in which the normal activities, behaviors, and standards you live by as a civilian are completely broken down and replaced with the norms, behaviors, and standards of military service. In fact, the actual definition of re-socialization is this. 
the process of learning new attitudes and norms required for a new social role. When I used to provide training on sailorization or resocialization in my final years in the Navy, I would always joke about how there are only three types of organizations that do that very well, because frankly, it's necessary. The first one, of course, is military organizations. The next two should really grab your attention, though. They are mental hospitals and prisons. I'm sure you can see why each of these organizations must re-socialize everyone that enters into their domain. Can't you? I used to quip that sailors have something very basic in common with criminals and lunatics. Anyway, one of the many places the group of young men I was part of were marched to was medical. It's a place where you were stripped down to your skivvy drawers and for a physical examination. And then you were told to walk through this line. I called it the gauntlet where corpsmen and even some civilian medical personnel are administering a whole slew of those vaccinations. Everybody walked down this gauntlet of air guns. Really, they were just called jet injectors and people with needle syringes. They were full of these vaccines. I guess the jet injectors are no longer used because of the risk of cross-contamination associated with them. But much like the gist of trust the science, jet injectors that pumped me full of vaccines back in the 80s were accepted science at the time, but not any longer. Getting back to it, though, sometimes it's hard to remember all the details for me because that's going back to 36 years ago. There are some things I do remember quite vividly, though. And the key thing was that the recruits had to follow every order given or else we would face some sort of disciplinary action, followed up by a bus ticket home with a dishonorable discharge. At least that's what we were all told at the time. I came to know differently after being in the service for a longer period of time, but nobody wanted that, not one bit. There was also the humiliation factor of being seen as weak in front of our peers. At the time of this mass inoculation during boot camp, I do not remember a single sailor refusing, yet alone questioning, any of the various vaccines being injected into them. Nor had I heard about any of the new recruits refusing to do so from other companies. So that's the way that it was. We all, as scared and very intimidated young recruits, followed orders and got our vaccines. It wasn't about trusting the science at all. It definitely wasn't about informed consent either. So the sheep that bring up the fact about how many in the military willingly accepted their vaccines do not take that into account at all. Probably because none of them have ever served in the military and most especially never served in the 80s at the height of the Cold War with Rinaldus Maximus as their commander in chief. Sheep don't want to become sheepdogs. They just enjoy the comfort and protection the sheepdogs provide. The reverse is true as well. Sheepdogs do not want to become the sheep. Please keep that in mind, both for the backdrop of the military vaccine stories we're going to talk about with regards to anthrax and COVID-19, and the role they have played in building a military for betrayal. As well as when uh, people that bring up the quote-unquote acceptance of vaccines by military personnel those people, for the most part, never served because they will always be sheep. Now, don't get me wrong. I know many people that served during the COVID-19 scandemic or are still serving. I've spoken with a lot of them, and a vast majority of them accepted reluctantly the shot because of the choices presented to them. 
get the vax or get out. That presents a huge dilemma for the sheepdog. They understand their role in society and willingly accept the risk so they can maintain their position as the sheepdog. The fear of getting kicked out of their pack and relegated to the role of protected vice protector overcame their hesitancy in accepting this experimental emergency use authorization vaccine that current data is showing has long-term detrimental effects on their health. I'm going to take a quick break here before I come back and discuss the differences and similarities surrounding the circumstances of the Armed Forces Anthrax and COVID vaccine vaccination programs. And with that, I'll be right back. All right, folks, we're back. Let's start this segment by discussing the anthrax vaccine immunization program. It may seem like ancient history to you or that it had no impact on you because of your family or you yourself were not impacted by it. We'll discuss that fallacy in a bit or maybe on another episode. First, though, this vaccination program was one that the government imposed on primarily the armed forces, but it did include certain civilian personnel within the Department of Defense and other ancillary government agencies. This vaccine requirement began in 1998 because of concerns that anthrax could be used as a biological weapon. Noticed here what well, was often discussed on this program before. That is, if you keep granting government extraordinary powers during emergencies, especially health emergencies, the government will create those same emergencies so they can usurp the liberty of its citizens, even those that serve in the armed forces. So back in 98, SecDef uh, Bill Cohen, he publicly stated, quote, anthrax poses a clear and present danger to our armed forces. It is the weapon of choice for germ warfare because it is easy to weaponize, and it is as lethal as Ebola, end quote. Historically, anthrax had previously been used in warfare as early as World War I against livestock, though. The Japanese also tested it for use during World War II against Chinese civilian populations, as well as tested, it was tested by the U.S., Canada, and Great Britain on sheep on an island in Scotland. When the Japanese used it in an attack, it was part of a larger program of biological warfare and human experimentation that is estimated to have killed more than half a million people. Also, the Soviet Union, Russia, 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 weaponized anthrax, and 64 people were killed in an accident in one of their cities back in 1979. In 1995, Iraq was found to have a biological weapon program that included anthrax. In 2001, shortly after 9-11, five people were killed in an anthrax attack delivered by mail to the U.S. Senate. You should really look up what prompted that attack. Now, as I stated in the previous segment, the U.S. military has had a long-standing program of mandating vaccines for service members. So the civilian and senior uniform leadership at the time, they expected that the anthrax vaccination requirement would be a matter of routine. But now this vaccination was ordered service-wide on members that were no longer those scared and intimidated young men and women that recently arrived at various boot camps. Now comes the similarity between the anthrax and COVID-19 vaccines. 
Members of the military began to complain about side effects of the vaccine and debate ensued at about whether these programs were really vaccine related. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? The DOD maintained that the vaccine was safe and effective. But survey after survey showed that many service members did not believe the information that was being given to them. Not one bit. Now, for something not similar is this, how the service members who refused or hesitated about the anthrax vaccine, it was up to the discretion of their commanding officers. So the outcomes there varied widely. Some weren't punished at all. Others acquiesced after counseling and still others received serious penalties, such as dishonorable discharges. Following the 9-11 attacks, an exemption requested by a Marine named James Muhammad led to his court-martial, with his lawyer advising him to plead guilty because he would not be allowed to present his religious reasons and might be subjected to the death penalty. That last part, though, was quite similar to what happened to many members of the military starting in August of 2021. The legal situation was complicated by the fact that the vaccine was experimental, much like the COVID-19 vaccine initially was. Although service members are required to obey orders, it is also illegal under U.S. law to use an experimental drug on patients without their consent, even to this day. You know, in the reserves, the requirement led to many members to quit, switch to inactive units, or, or move to another unit. In the case of both vaccine programs, it definitely had a negative effect on the retention of trained and experienced service members. Fortunately, the anthrax vaccine program, after suffering many legal challenges and questions about its safety, led to its cancellation in 2008. Fast forward to 2021, though, when the entire country was in the tyrannical thrall of COVID madness. Once again, uniformed and civilian military leadership imposed a mandatory vaccine for all active duty and guard service members. Of course, the young service members at their respective boot camps would not question what was being injected in their bodies, much like it happened in, to me back in the 80s. However, much like the anthrax program, service members that had been in for quite some time, they questioned both the effectiveness of the injection as well as the side effects. Service members started refusing the vaccine and were subjected to disciplinary action, up to and including being drummed out of the service. Active duty and guard members that submitted religious exemptions had those same requests ignored by leadership. Livelihoods were destroyed and military readiness suffered. It has suffered in more ways than one as well, especially now that the facts are coming out about the adverse side effects to the mRNA injection. But what is really telling is that the military's response to the so-called vaccine-hesitant members of the armed forces is a two-pronged effect. The first of which is that it has really destroyed trust. Now that the facts about the jab are coming out, many of those who trusted that leadership was doing the right thing by strictly enforcing the vax mandate, they are waking up to the fact that their trust was betrayed. In any organization, trust is essential to the successful operation of that organization. Even more so in an organization that is tasked with lethality. There have been many betrayals of trust in the leadership of the armed forces. 
from the lie about weapons of mass destruction that led to the Iraq invasion, continuing on to the absolutely humiliating and deadly debacle that was our military's withdrawal from Afghanistan. Trust that senior military and civilian leadership will do the right thing for the members of our armed forces. It's waning, which can have dire consequences, especially with our current rotting bag of oatmeal for brains commander in chief, who is leading us into World War III so that he can cover up he and his family's long history of corruption in Ukraine. This will be after Biden and his administration has depleted our armed forces of the equipment and ammunition needed to respond to any armed conflict that they are going to rush us into. After a quick break, we'll come back to discuss what I meant by military readiness suffering as well. Not just from the COVID madness, but all of the other social equity and related madness being brought about by the woke military leadership. All that and how I believe it is leading us to the point where both the uniform and civilian military leadership is building a military here in the United States of America that will betray their oaths to the Constitution and betray the citizens of our republic. So I'll be right back after this brief pause. All right, folks, let's pick right back up with how eroded trust in the civilian and uniform leadership of the armed forces is adversely affecting readiness. First, there was the tyrannical and blind adherence to trust the science that engulfed the armed forces from the 24th of August, 2021, up until the mandate was rescinded on the 10th of January this year. For 16 plus months, it was pure medical tyranny, not only around the country, but even in the military. And all for a virus that would largely have no effect on the population of healthy young adults serving in the armed forces. It's completely unnecessary, but now it will have long-term negative health effects on the military members that were forced to accept it. I'm going to play a short video from a Navy doctor that did actual research on the health of the armed forces post-vaccine. This is actual science being conducted. So let's roll the video. July, the Secretary Cisneros acknowledged the DMAT data, the database working properly, and also acknowledged things such as myocarditis, right? I kind of came up with that. So I, I went in today. Um, I'm doing a five-year average. However, I'm comparing it to 2022, and I only using fixed wing pilots and helicopter pilots, active duty. So we had hypertensive disease, 36%. Systemic heart disease, 69%. Pulmonary heart disease, 62%. Heart failure, 973%. Other forms of heart disease, 63%. Cardiomyopathy, 152%. So, not only has the response to the vaccine hesitancy eroded trust by members of the military, the resulting injuries are eroding the trust of those who voluntarily took the jab because they trusted leadership when they said the vaccine was safe and effective. Now, the COVID madness is not the only thing eroding trust. There is also this administration's hunt for white supremacists. They see them behind every tree. As a matter of fact, they have labeled anybody that does not toe the line with the current administration's policies as a white supremacist. One of the ways in which I keep abreast of what is going on in the armed forces now is that I've 
now that I've retired and moved away from any fleet concentration area, is that I subscribe to a daily newsletter. It's called the Early Bird Brief. It's like the military version of the Drudge Report. It's a news aggregator, sharing news articles that deal with the military in general and articles specific to each branch and even some articles about what Congress is doing with regards to the military. It comes to my inbox daily, and recently an article sparked my interest. The article appeared on Military Times, and it was titled, Extremism Stand Down, Check the Box with No Lasting Results, Critics Say. It was written by a Miss or Mrs. Nikki Wentley. Of course, I did a little digging on the author and discovered this as her description on the website. Quote, Nikki Wentling covers disinformation and extremism for Military Times. I lost all faith in her right there because I saw her motivation and bias right off the bat. The article went on to discuss the service-wide stand-down that was ordered shortly after the civil disobedience event that occurred on the 6th of January, 2021. You know, after reviewing the now-released video footage from the U.S. Capitol that day, I won't even call what happened that day a riot. Anyway, the gist of her article is that even after that stand-down, most service members don't recall what was discussed in the training other than don't do terrorism, it's bad. She also cites this particular statistic. As of September, 193 individuals with military background have been charged or convicted for their roles in the breach of the U.S. Capitol. Veterans and service members account for about 17.5% of all defendants charged in the Capitol attack so far, while they comprise only 7% of the U.S. population. Wow. Of course, she doesn't understand that disparity because she doesn't understand the Constitution and the oaths people take to protect and defend it. But her article points out accidentally that this administration is focused on domestic extremist terrorists and white supremacy and focusing a large part of their efforts by labeling active duty service members, veterans, and conservatives as such. It is another in a long list of actions that betrays trust in leadership, and it's leading to a mass exodus of people that believe in the oath to the Constitution. So these events, vaccine mandates and considering active duty and veterans as domestic extremist terrorists, have accession or recruiting and retention rates at all-time lows for our military. What does that leave you with? Well, people, the people that do stay in the armed forces are those that will follow any order, unconstitutional or not, like arresting or firing upon their fellow American citizens. The same thing goes for those that are joining up. This is especially true based upon what the commies are proposing in the U.S. Senate. What do you mean, Larry? What is the latest unconstitutional action being proposed by the very government created to secure the people's liberty? Well, watch this video clip and we'll discuss it on the other side. What troubles me about the debate now with the southern border is it is one half of the immigration equation. Yes, we need order at the border. Yes, we need to have changes in the laws that reflect the reality of the overwhelming numbers all over the world who are coming to our, our shores and our border. But there's also an incredible demand for legal immigration into this country even now. Presiding officer, my colleague from the state of Illinois, has legislation which addresses one aspect of that. Her bill, and I hope I describe it accurately, says that if you are an undocumented person in this country and you can pass the physical and the required test 
background test, the like. You can serve in our military, and if you do it honorably, we will make you citizens of the United States. Do we need that? Do you know what the recruiting numbers are in the Army, and the Navy, and the Air Force? They can't reach their quotas each month. They can't find enough people to join our military forces. And there are those who are undocumented who want the chance to serve and risk their lives for this country. Should we give them a chance? I think we should. Well, 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 not only are the commies facilitating an invasion along our southern border, but now they are advocating for those same illegal aliens to be able to join the military. They are talking about people joining whose first act in this country was to break the law to enter the country. Do you think those people will have any qualms about firing on U.S. citizens if given the order to, especially with a prospect of U.S. citizenship on the line? Absolutely not. Ladies and gentlemen, our military has been purged of people that will follow their oaths to the Constitution, and what remains are mostly people that will follow any order, lawful or not, in order to remain in the military. And because of the terrible recruiting and retention numbers plaguing the military right now, the communists are willing to fill the armed forces with illegal aliens that will do nothing to jeopardize the opportunity to get citizenship after breaking the law to enter the country. There is nothing good that will come of this, folks. Our uniformed and civilian leadership of the military are building an armed force that will blindly follow their orders with no consideration given to the fact that each of them swear an oath to the Constitution, not to a government, not to a government official, and not to any military leader. I don't want to be the chicken little here, but I do not see any good coming from any of these actions. With that, I'm going to take a quick break before I come back with the closing with God's word. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Again, folks, I want to thank you for joining me this week. A little bit off topic, but, you know, we're talking about the military here today. I'm sad to see the outcome of the Army-Navy game this past uh, weekend. You know, my brother and his son, my nephew, both Army guys, and myself, we always get in this little text battle on on the phones during the game, and, and it's all in good fun. We, you know, at the end of the day, those same sailors and Marines and soldiers, when they get on the battlefield, they have each other's back. You know, at least they used to. We'll see if they do in the future. But like I said, I'm disappointed with the game. It's the outcome. I still support the military. You know, after all, did spend more than half of my life in that wonderful organization. It was wonderful at the time. I, I hope it can get back to being an organization focused on war fighting effectiveness and the ability to defend our nation against all enemies. But with that, we will close with this week's wisdom from God's word. And it comes to us from Psalms 41, 9. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. For more than a hundred years now, our government has turned against us. First, it was just to grow the size and scope of government through the 16th Amendment. Then it went on to destroy federalism and weaken the vertical separation of powers with the passage of the 17th Amendment. And since the end of World War II, our, our central government has further usurped the power of the people by involving our nation in conflicts without declaring war. Frankly, folks, as I have stated many times in the past, it is time for the citizens of the United States of America 
to wake up and realize that our government really hates us. It loves power and control and only sees the citizens and their income as a means to that end. The end being total control over our lives and our assets. Until next week, stand in the arena with me. Reveling, it's time to wake up.